Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante, imagination, innovation, science in action. According to Mark on Cooperative, as the California naval season progresses, small fruit at 113 and 138 count oranges will become extremely tight. Stocks are currently being shipped out of California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. They expect great quality and rising markets for small sizes through the rest of January. As for lemons, lemons are being harvested in all three major California growing regions, which include the San Joaquin Valley, Southern California, and the California Desert region. The California supplies of lemons are also being dominated by small sizes, the 140 through 165 count fruit. Quality is excellent on the lemons and they expect steady markets and ample supplies through the rest of January. The California Cotton Jenners and Growers Association has joined several agricultural associations and others in submitting a joint comment letter to the California Air Resources Board on the latest draft of the proposed zero-emission forklift regulation. The association led the effort to coordinate a collective response against the proposed regulation that can have an overwhelming impact on agriculture. As stakeholders representing the agriculture industry, they believe it is imperative to contribute their insights on this proposed regulation. The collaborative efforts aim to provide constructive feedback and recommendations that align the proposed regulation with the unique and diverse needs of the agricultural industry that balances the objectives of the California Air Resources Board and the broader effects it has upon the agricultural industries they represent, according to CCGGA. The comment letter raised various concerns regarding the proposed regulation, particularly focusing on its ramifications for the agricultural sector. The CAR Board will conduct a public hearing on June 27th to consider the proposed zero-emission forklift regulation. When California Governor Gavin Newsom signed Senate Bill 1013 back in September of 2022, he approved an aggressive beverage packaging recycling program. Dubbed the Bottle Bill, it added what many considered a long overdue recycling enforcement of previously uncovered wine and spirit beverage containers. Although consumers have been and still will be voluntarily responsible for properly disposing their beverage containers, be it glass, can, or otherwise, this new bill shares the responsibility of recycling with all beverage producers in the state. As of now, the bottle bill makes all California wineries defined by the bill as beverage manufacturers as well as wine and spirits distributors in the state responsible for registering with CalCycle and understanding new and impeding payment collection obligations that kick in on March 1st. Manufacturers will have to pay processing fees based on beverage container materials they use. For example, the fee a winery, distillery, or other beverage maker would pay for glass 
as of the new year is 57 cents a bottle. Distributors pay the redemption value to the state's California Redemption Value Program, or CRV fund, and they may recoup this cost from retailers or consumers. Beverage container recycling program provisions do not apply to refillable containers, food and non-beverage containers, infant formula, medical food, and milk. California almond growers experienced a taxing and financially draining season in 2023. And for the short-term outlook, things will remain difficult and tough decisions will have to be made, according to Alexi Rodriguez, chair of the board of directors at the State of the Industry presentation, which was held during the 51st annual Almond Board Conference held recently. She says they do believe there's good reason to remain optimistic about the future of almonds and their profitability. A lot has changed in terms of growth, production, and additional plantings, and it's important to assess how almonds measure up against other tree nuts. That, according to Richard Waycott, former Almond Board of California president and CEO. Today, three and a half billion pounds of almonds are being produced globally, approximately one billion more than 10 years ago. Production remains high in California, making up about 75% of all world production. But this number has been higher, which suggests increasing competition from producers in Spain and Australia. Almonds aren't the only nut that has seen this amount of scale. Collectively, tree nuts have increased total trade nut supply in the world by 64% in the past decade. Positively, almonds are still the favorite nut and hold a hefty consumption lead over their nearest competitor, which is cashews. But there is still lots of room for more consumption globally, according to Waycott. The Citrus Research Board and the University of California Davis are requesting grower assistance in collecting baseline data for a California citrus industry-wide life cycle analysis project. The project seeks to quantify the net environmental benefits and impacts of citrus production, including aspects such as water and electricity usage, grove management practices, and fertilizer applications in a typical citrus production year. Through this survey, CRB hopes to address questions posed by retailers regarding the industry's sustainability efforts and generate industry-wide environmental performance indicators and highlight the benefits of citrus production in California. For those who have completed a similar survey from Sunkist, your Information will be used in this project, and there is no need to take this survey a second time. For more information, contact California Citrus Mutual. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. As we continue our conversations about pollination before the bees really start to work in orchards, it's important to keep pollinator health in mind. The bees can't do their job if they're not healthy, and there's a number of areas to consider when protecting these pollinators. At the very least, bees need sustenance to stay active. Of course, pollen and nectar are what bees feed off of in general, but the little guys also need water like any other biological organism. What we kind of tend to forget about, which we shouldn't be forgetting about, is water. So the bees need access to clean water as well. Those are the three um, main components of nutrition that the bees need. Um, I should add that pollen is really important because pollen is what the bees use to convert uh, um, into brood food, essentially. So in order to have healthy and developing brood, which is developing bees, 
uh, bees need access to quite a bit of pollen. And almond pollen is actually quite nutritious and does provide good nutrition to the bees. So that's really great. However, um, what is also really beneficial to the bees is to have the variety of pollen sources. So there's research that's been done and it shows over and over again that the more diversity of food sources the bees have access to, the healthier they are. They are better able to deal with pesticide exposure, pest and pathogen exposure. So there's a great uh, push uh, for growers to plant cover crops, uh, if at all possible, in their orchards. And there are initiatives in um, especially within the almond, um, I would say almond realm and almond space where the growers can get um, access to specific forage for bees. For example, Project APSM offers a program called Seeds for Bees where growers can reach out to them, um, have them provide seeds and actually provide information on how to best plant these cover crops. Um, so the bees can access it, especially this is really important during the time of almond pollination, I'm sure you're aware, because there's not really much out there else that's uh, blooming. So nutrition, quite important. And as I mentioned, water is also really important. So keeping those water sources available, um, and that's usually done sort of a, a conversation between a beekeeper and a grower um, in making sure that that water source is protected from any contamination from, for example, potential pesticide application when necessary. That was Alina Nino, Associate Professor of Cooperative Extension for Apiculture at UC Davis, and she noted that while bees are quite resourceful, the water for them can't just go anywhere in the orchard. In our um, apiaries, we'll use barrels that we can place uh, with water around the apiary. Um, so having bees have access to that water fairly close enough to their um, hives is important. But again, they're very resourceful. They'll go find water wherever they can. That's why we end up often with phone calls from homeowners. The bees are invading my pool. <laughs> so we really try to provide that water close by um, to uh, the hives. Um, again, depends obviously on the orchard um, configuration. Um, and where the hives are placed uh, within, you know, several hundred feet is fine. They will find that water usually. One thing also important to mention is that they need something to land on to access that water. So you can just put a barrel on there and hope for the best. Um, we'll often put um, things like um, leaves that can float on top, dried branches, or even the packing peanuts um, that will float on top of the water in the barrel and sort of move with the level of the water that helps the bees be able to land on there and actually collect the water that they need. Keeping track of where and when pesticides are sprayed is another provision to take when protecting pollinators and with integrated pest management, sometimes including multiple pesticides with different modes of action that may be harmful to honeybees. This is imperative. Turning off those Pesticide application sprayers when you're passing by the hives is really important. Um, and then there are really important steps. I think the most important one probably being a communication between beekeepers and growers and then pesticide um, applicators as well. Um, so you, everybody knows when things are being sprayed and what things are being sprayed. Um, so if there are any modifications that need to take place, they can be done. Um, in a timely fashion 
So Almond Board of California has a great um, brochure and uh, a manual, if you will, for keeping bees safe during almond pollination specifically. So a few other things that they talk about in those uh, in that brochure is also applying pesticides that might be less harmful to bees. Um, UC IPM website has alternative options that uh, growers can research or pesticide applicators can research and see if there's anything, um, an alternative pesticide that would be safer for bees that could be used in place, whatever they were planning on using. Um, for example, because I don't know of all of the synergistic effects potentially on the bees, the recommendation is not to mix different classes of pesticides. So for example, fungicides with insecticides. Um, another good practice is to spray, if at all possible, when the bees are not flying in the orchards. Um, so when they're not accessing those blooms. Um, and as I said, there's a great resource online, um, Almond Board of California has put out and it has been updated and it's a brochure that was worked on by not just the growers, but beekeepers, pesticide applicators, researchers. So it's a collaborative output um, that I think has taken everybody's um, needs in consideration. Hive placement within an orchard also affects optimal pollination and efficiency. You want to make sure that you're uh, placing hives in an area that is, for example, not easily flooded, right? especially that's important to note with the floods that we've been having lately. Um, so area that is not easily flooded, area that can be easily accessed if the hives do need to be moved. Um, the recommendation is also to place hives in such a fashion that they are exposed to the early morning sun. So east or southeast facing um, placement is um, can be very beneficial because it can get those bees out of the hive uh, earlier in the morning. Um, and then of course, if possible, hives should be spread throughout the orchard because the bees do tend to have that mentality of, okay, I found the food source, I'm going to stick to it while I deplete it. Um, so it allows a little bit more um, access of bees or easier access of bees to those flowers that need to be pollinated. So it's sort of spreading out. And again, it's really difficult to say a specific configuration because everybody's um, orchard and orchard blocks are different, right? But spreading out hives around the orchard, if at all possible, can be beneficial in getting those bees out there and pollinating as many uh, blooms as possible. For more information, the Almond Board of California developed a guide for growers and beekeepers titled Honeybee Best Management Practices for California Almonds, as well as the Cover Crop Guide in collaboration with UC Davis and University of California Cooperative Extension. Links for both are down below. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Chalstrom. Attention ag professionals. How do you maximize your efforts in your fields without breaking the bank? Come find out at the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno. Network with the best companies looking to help you save money and resources, making your dollars go further in the field. This is your chance to stay ahead and thrive in the face of challenges. The time to make a difference is now. You can't afford to miss out. Visit myaglife.com forward slash events to register or call 559-352-4456.
The Energy Information Administration says ethanol output surged to a two-year high, and inventories hit their highest point since April during the week ending on December 22nd. Ethanol production rose to an average of 1.11 million barrels a day, up from 1.07 during the prior week and the highest level since October of 2021. The Midwest, which produces the most U.S. ethanol, increased its output to an average of 1.04 million barrels a day, up from 1.00 million a week earlier. That was all the gains during the week as the East Coast production was unchanged at 12,000 barrels a day and the Rocky Mountain output was steady at 14,000 barrels a day. West Coast production remained at 10,000 barrels per day for the second straight week. Gulf Coast output dipped to 24,000 barrels from 26,000 a prior week. Ethanol inventories jumped to 23.52 million barrels during the week, the highest level since April of 2021. What are some of the ways USDA's Census of Agriculture provides significant data and useful information to people not associated with ag? USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain has the story. A mid-February release date is set for results from USDA's latest Census of Agriculture. And as Joe Prusacki of the National Agricultural Statistics Service notes, some people not familiar with how the census works seem to have plenty of questions about a survey that has plenty of questions in it. For instance, I think the biggest question is, why do you mail out or try to collect data from three plus million farmers? And whereas the farm count in the United States is about two million. Why? Well, because farmers are in and out, in and out, so you don't necessarily cast. That's one. The other thing is people ask us, why do you do it? Trust me, it's not cheap to do a sense of agriculture. And why do you do it? It's to get that benchmark, that snapshot of what's going on in the United States. The census every five years does create that snapshot in time regarding agriculture. Essential, according to Prasaki, in how much ag has changed during that time, and the data collected affects more than the farm sector. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Collaborated with the Blue Book Services Purchasing and Analytics Team to study consumer shopping preferences and the latest research to predict rising and shifting trends for 2024. The internet has exploded with boards, from butter boards to dessert boards to snack boards and more. Boards have been having their moment and social media is to blame. The bring the board party trend is not disappearing anytime soon. The premise is simple. Each pal brings a board laden with a different treat. The further from the traditional charcuterie board, the better. It's the new potluck. And why are they so popular? Because they're beautiful and they don't require chefy skills to make. People are excited to share food again while also looking for stress-free ways to host. And those in a food industry anticipate the Mediterranean diet to continue to be popular. And for far too long, vegetable oils such as corn oil, soybean oil, and cottonseed have been touted as healthy and with that have become the predominant fats in the average American diet. Many people cook with them at home and they are found in processed food, but these oils are high in omega-6, which when consumed in excess can promote inflammation in the body. In 2024, cooking oils are getting a good-for-you upgrade. They'll be swapped with pro-inflammatory omega six oils for healthy oils like olive oil, coconut oil, and hyaluronic sunflower oil, and they'll focus on consuming more health-promoting omega-3s found in wild salmon, pasture-raised beef, algal oils, fish oils, and sardines to support healthy mood, healthy sugar balance, cardiovascular function, inflammation modulation, and so much more. The new year will bring several dairy policy topics to the forefront Farm News reporter Chad Smith has more on some of the key dairy issues for 2024. Many opportunities for change and improvement in U.S. dairy policy have been delayed until 2024 or are in the formal rulemaking process. 
Danny Munch, an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, says the Farm Bill extension has delayed work on some of the priorities. Some of our dairy-related Farm Bill priorities are on the back burner. So this includes things like pricing-related adjustments we were looking for, like an authorization of a mandatory and audited survey of processor costs and yields, a switch back to the higher of class one mover, and authorizing modified block voting, as well as some of our dairy margin coverage changes related to production history and tier one coverage limitations. He says those conversations will continue when Congress is back in session next year. Also continuing next year are the federal milk marketing order hearings, which will resume in mid-January. USDA will actually be reconvening the hearing yet again at 8 a.m. on January 16th, still in the same location in Carmel, Indiana. Once completed, there are still many other steps in this process. USDA will publish this transcript from everything that was said, thousands of pages. Parties can then file corrections to that transcript. Then parties will file post-hearing briefs or their final comments. Based on the transcripts, USDA will publish a recommended decision on the Federal Register. Parties can then comment on that, and then the USDA will issue a final decision, which farmers will then vote on in a referendum. The final issue on the horizon for early 2024 is the Dairy Margin Coverage Program. Dairy Margin Coverage enrollment has still not yet been reopened. I actually reached out to FSA, and they said language in the 2018 Farm Bill requires regulatory change that they have to publish in the Federal Register before they can actually hold the sign-up. So there's a delay there. There's also some software updates they said they had to put in place first. So they don't have a date in mind yet, but said enrollment will occur. Once it does open, they say protection should be retroactive to any months that it's delayed through. Keep up to date with these issues at fb.org. Chad Smith, Washington. The USDA will reconvene the National Public Hearing to consider proposals seeking to amend the uniform pricing formulas applicable in all 11 federal milk marketing orders. The process will restart January 16th and go through January 19th and then reconvene again on the 29th if needed. The hearing began in August of 2023 and is being held in Carmel, Indiana. Copies of the notice to reconvene, guidelines for participating, and exhibits entered during the hearing are available on the National Federal Milk Marketing Order Pricing Formula hearing webpage. Proponents contend that the uniform marketing order pricing formulas should be amended as significant changes in the dairy industry and milk marketing have occurred since their adoption in the early 2000s. Forty proposals were submitted by stakeholders for consideration. Of those, 21 directly impact the uniform pricing formulas and are being considered at the hearing. Dairy producers may testify in person at any time during the hearing. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening.